Well, hey everyone, uh, glad we get to connect in this way again. Welcome here. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethany, and uh, this is actually the first time that I get to preach from my home during this whole lockdown thing. To try and make it a bit more familiar with everyone, I've invited Krista, so she's here. And she, I'm just kidding, Krista's not here at all. That would that would not be good. But we are going to continue on about uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount and uh, going into uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Now, we can be honest in church, so I got to tell you, when Andrew first asked me to preach on this passage, I, I actually laughed at him. I said, oh yeah, give me the easy one, the just pray more passage. But as I've made space to process and meditate on these verses, I've been reminded of some really important aspects and truths about prayer, about God, and about our relationship with him, as well as to everyone else that, that we interact with. Because as we'll see in a minute, as much as I may have laughed at the idea of getting the just pray more passage, I think Jesus is really inviting us and teaching us to do exactly that, actually, to pray more. But not just to pray more, but to pray with more recognition of the Father's love for us and with more awareness of the kind of life that we're invited into when we choose to follow Jesus, which, let's be honest, that can be challenging, right? Have you ever tried following Jesus well and found it difficult? It, it is. It's, it's challenging. I know I have. And as we'll see, I think this is part of what Jesus is offering us today through these words is a reminder that we need him and that we can trust him and that actually he loves us. So with that thought, let's, let's dive right in. Matthew chapter 7, you can open up your Bibles or find it on your device. Uh, verse 7, here we go. Jesus says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, let's remember right at the top here that these verses, they don't stand alone, right? Um, Jesus didn't say these one day randomly without any context. I know this is obvious, but I just want to remind us here that Jesus is teaching in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that these verses that we just read are linked to the rest of Jesus's teachings. And like any scripture, we want to take into account the context. We want to understand what's there before and after. And so we need to remember that everything that Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 has to do with how we understand our relationship to God, who we are in light of him, and then how we interact with people around us in light of being citizens of God's kingdom. So the Sermon on the Mount is entirely about what life in God's kingdom is meant to look like, which, as it turns out, is incredibly Jesus-centered and others-focused. It's what some have called the Jesus ethic. It's very much just love God and love others. And so then the question is, well, what does ask and seek and knock in prayer have to do with loving others? Well, actually, a lot. Think about it this way. Think about all the teachings that we've heard from Jesus so far in the Sermon on the Mount. Think about turning the other cheek. Think about not judging others. Think about loving your enemies. How successful do you think you'd be in living that way unless you had God's power working in you? What's your track record look like in terms of looking at yourself and dealing with your own issues and struggles rather than being critical and judgmental of other people? How well do you show love not only to people that maybe annoy you occasionally, but to someone that might actually want to do you harm? How's your anger issues? 
And listen, this isn't about guilt, though at this point some of you may be wondering whether that's actually true. But honestly, this is not about guilt. This is about us recognizing that the Jesus ethic, living in God's kingdom as a way, as a follower of Jesus' way, it's hard. And we actually have no hope of succeeding in that unless we depend on God's power in us. We need him to be faithful to him. And so it's into that context, it's into that realization, and even into that apprehension that Jesus speaks these words of keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Jesus knows that this life he's leading us into can be hard. Yes, it can be joyful. Yes, there can be celebration. Yes, there can be incredible hope. Absolutely, those things are all there. But there is also great challenge in loving your neighbor as yourself. But that's exactly what he is calling us to do. And Jesus knows that we need God's power if we're going to be able to do that well. And so he invites us and even commands us to keep on praying. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. But ask for help. Keep asking for God's transforming work in you and in others. Keep seeking the help and the wisdom that we need to be able to be faithful to him. Keep knocking because we know that God is at work in us and in the people around us. And so just in case some of us aren't quite convinced that this passage isn't really about just praying more and more and, and harder because then God will give us the, the, uh, the answer to the prayer we're looking for because unfortunately this is often how this passage has been presented. Let's just remember that Jesus, he already taught against that form of prayer just a chapter earlier in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus was speaking against long wordy prayers because they don't actually uh, invite the kind of relationship that God has for us. Jesus says that this sort of prayer is actually ungodly. Praying long wordy prayers because you think that this is going to impress God or, or shape his uh, response to you um, is actually like saying, he's saying like, you don't actually know who you're praying to. You're just coming and using prayer as a way to make your demands. And then also if we read ahead just a little bit to same chapter, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we get to what we call the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And in your Bible, the verse should start with therefore or so then or consequently. And all of those are connecting words tying the command to ask and to seek and to knock with the kingdom value and call to treat others the way we want to be treated. That's all tied into how we are called to live in God's kingdom. And so that's the first aspect I think we need to recognize here is that Jesus is reminding us as his followers to ask him for help because the life he's calling us to is challenging. It's full of life, it's full of hope, it's full of joy, but we can't do it without him. So ask, seek, and knock. And then I think the, the next thing Jesus is revealing is that we can trust God to be a good and loving father to us. I'm going to read again the entire passage. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? See, I think Jesus is encouraging us to remember that you and I can trust that our needs matter to him and that we can ask him for what we need and that he invites us to do that in prayer. This is, again, part of what life in God's kingdom is, looks like. 
Now, maybe you find yourself the way I have many times in my life and still do sometimes where I feel like I have to craft my prayers uh, just really well, just kind of ironclad, perfectly worded prayer so that I will get God to respond to my prayer, to answer my prayer the way I want, but not answer it in, in a different way and yet kind of trick me. Uh, the truth is, any time that I've prayed that way, any time that I've thought that way, I might as well be praying to like Loki, the god of mischief or something, because I don't have a sense that God is my loving father. I'm not going to him in trust. And of course, the picture of God the Father that Jesus is giving us here is very different from Loki. It's a God who loves us, who sees himself, who is our father and wants to give us good gifts. And so, even if we've initially read verse 7 as thinking we've got to pray more and we've got to get this just right, when we get into verse 8 and forward, we get to see that this invitation to prayer, it's not actually meant to be transactional or demanding um, where, I, where I pray enough and I then just get what I want, but it's actually relational. The core of these prayers are anchored in the truth that we are loved and cherished by our Heavenly Father. Philip Yancey says it this way, at its best, my prayer does not seek to manipulate God into doing my will. Quite the opposite. Prayer enters the pool of God's own love and widens outward. Prayer enters the pool of God's own love and widens outward. So prayer becomes relational instead of demanding and transactional. That's far, far better. I think it's actually incredibly important truth that Jesus is bringing to us and inviting us to ponder and receive that it's actually it's actually absurd to think that God isn't a good and loving and caring father. It's absurd to think that he doesn't care for us more than we could ever imagine. Now, I don't know if this is true. I can't prove this theologically, but I can't help but picture Jesus talking about a father being asked for bread and giving their child a stone without him having this twinkle in his eye and a grin in his face. Even uh, last week, what Andrew talked about when Jesus is teaching about uh, not judging other people. And he uses this imagery of saying, you know, trying to get the speck of dust out of someone's eye while you've got this, this beam, this plank, this four by four post sticking out of your face. I mean, that is either incredibly disturbing or actually kind of comical. It's, it's absurdly uh, ridiculous to think that you could have this post coming in your eye. This is how silly this is. And I think Jesus is using the same kind of a uh, little bit of humor in here. It's ridiculous to think of a kid asking for a sandwich and us giving him a stone. Like that would just be so silly. As I was writing this sermon, actually, my girls were playing in the next room. They're taking a break from their, uh, their online learning, just trying to make it through the day. And it was just one of those moments when I realized how much joy just hearing their voices brought me how much joy just hearing them, them playing and laughing brought to my heart. Now, I know this isn't a universal experience. Not all of us are parents or you have young kids. And not every time we hear our kids' voices does it bring us joy. Can we just be honest about that? It can be tough and stressful. But I, I mention all this because this is the context that, that I'm in and what I can pull from. Um, and I, I mention it because I think part of what Jesus is expressing here is just this. He's saying, like, look, if you parents who clearly aren't God if you can lovingly provide for your children with joy, how much more will your heavenly father give you what really matters? To think that God wouldn't give you what you truly need, it's actually ridiculously absurd. It's almost comical. So trust him, go to him as your father. So I think if we haven't already, we can begin to read this passage, hearing the loving and compassionate tone that Jesus speaks in talking about the Father and describing the kind of relationship that he wants with us. 
And I know that some of us right now, maybe many of us, we're thinking, yeah, like I've been going to God and I've been asking for genuinely good things and it hasn't happened. He hasn't answered my prayer. Our youngest daughter, Emery, not too long ago, we're putting her into bed and almost out of the blue, she just says, why doesn't Jesus just make the coronavirus go away? Does that resonate with any of you? We've had those prayers, right? God, I'm asking you for something genuinely good. Why aren't you answering? Why aren't you making a difference? And these are important questions, right? This is really good to be aware of this tension. And even because it seems kind of contradictory, we're saying God invites us into prayer to ask for what we really need. And then when we ask for genuinely good things, God doesn't answer. What do we, what do, we do with that? One of the most initially frustrating stories of Jesus uh, for me is a story of four friends that bring this, the, their paralyzed friend to, uh, to Jesus. They fight through a huge crowd. Uh, they push their way through. They get up to the roof. They, they actually rip a hole in the roof and lower their friend down right in front of Jesus. It's obvious to everybody around why they're doing this. They want their friend to be able to walk again. They want their friend to be healed. And as the man gets lowered down to Jesus, he looks at the man and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I mean, what? Like, that's all great, God. That's, that's wonderful. Thanks, Jesus. But that's not actually what we asked for. Now, Jesus does very soon after this heal the man physically as well. But, you know, I can't help but wonder if Jesus is reminding us that God gives us good things and that we also need to remember that there is evil in this world, that there is another force at play and that there are things that we are just need to depend on God faithfully in because Jesus in this passage is not saying ask, seek, and knock and every bad thing will be taken away. Not yet anyways, but rather ask, seek, and knock and the greatest good, full relationship with God your Father will be given to you. This is the promise we have because remember, the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, they understood suffering. They understood hardship. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. The vast majority of the people listening to Jesus lived at a subsistence level. They had barely enough food to make it through the day. And yet, Jesus is still encouraging them to ask for what they truly need. And he's reminding us to do the same thing, encouraging us to ask for help in living the way that he calls us to, reminding us to trust that our heavenly father knows what we need and he knows how to provide and that the most important thing that we can ask him for is actually a closer relationship with him to actually know him well. And this is the promise in verse eight that I think we get. Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. The promise is that everyone who comes to God the Father will receive from him. There is no barrier between us and the Father. Every person that goes to the Father for life, every person that goes for forgiveness, every person that goes for transformation will receive it. There is no exception to that. But the reminder is that this is not a one-time thing because this is a relationship, right? This is not transactional. So we need to keep going to him in prayer. We need to keep fostering that habit of prayer. So we got to keep going to God. If we're going to follow Jesus faithfully, we need to do so with uh, a life of prayer. Um, prayer needs to be our habit. This is kind of the, the last thing I want to talk about here right now. <clears throat> Prayer needs to be our habit. We cannot follow Jesus well without <clears throat> um, a life of prayer. Catherine Doherty, a, a well-known writer, she says this, 
Without prayer, the life of the Christian dies. Without prayer, the life of the Christian dies. Now, honestly, guys, there are times when I actually don't want this to be true. There are times when I want to be the exception to this, where I want to believe that I can be faithful to God and I can do what he, he's calling me to do without going to him all the time. And I'll just go to him when it really matters, when I really feel like I need it. But the truth is that none of us are an exception to this. Even Jesus modeled a habitual life of prayer. He fostered a habit of prayer in his life. And so you and I, all of us, we are called to pray because without prayer, the life of a Christian dies. So how do we do that? How do we foster a life of prayer? This again is a, the last thing I want to talk with us about today. I just want to share a few thoughts on, on what we can do right now, even this week. And a life of prayer, honestly, is something that we will always grow in for our entire life. There will never be an end to how we can grow and experience that. But it doesn't mean we can't start this week. It doesn't mean we can't actually start today. And so the first things I want to share are actually from Pete Grieg, who wrote the book, How to Pray, um, where he suggests, we re he remembered that... Um, that prayer is relational, first of all, that prayer is relational, and second of all, vulnerable, and third, intentional, that prayer is relational and vulnerable and intentional. He writes, first of all, about prayer being relational. He says that Jesus is always more interested in friendship than in dispensing blessing to faceless souls. Jesus is always more interested in friendship than in dispensing blessing to faceless souls. So when we pray, Let's remember, we can remember that God is our loving Father who is inviting us into relationship with Him through prayer to know Him and allow Him to know us more even. Anthony Bloom, uh, a writer, says this, It is very important to remember that prayer is an encounter and a relationship which is deep, and this relationship cannot be forced either on us or on God. This is an encounter and a relationship which is deep, and this relationship cannot be forced either on us or on God. This, again, is an important truth that prayer isn't meant to be transactional. Prayer isn't meant to be transactional. It isn't meant to be us bargaining and trying to force our way on God, but where we go to God trusting that He welcomes us in as His own. We are invited to truly get to know Him more. So prayer, if we're going to make it a habit, we have to remember that it's relational. And since prayer is relational, then it also leads to being open and honest, to actually being vulnerable with God. Again, Pete Grieg writes this, To make a request is to admit to some area of personal need. That's vulnerability. To make a request is to admit to some area of personal need. Asking is an expression of faith, a way of opening our hearts to believe and our heart, sorry, a way of opening our hearts to believe and our hands to receive from another person. So when we ask God to fill our need instead of trying to fill it ourselves, we are actually putting our trust in Him. Let me say that again. When we ask God to fill our need instead of trying to fill it ourselves, we are putting our trust in Him and being vulnerable and saying, I actually need you. I can't do this without you. In my own life, I've actually recently been, been realizing a hesitation I sometimes have in going to God in prayer because I don't want to admit that I still need Him in some areas. I have times when I think like, I've been following you a long time, Jesus, and I should be able to do this without you by now. Shouldn't I have got this figured out? Can anyone else relate to this? Does anyone else have that kind of, of guilt in their life? I, I Honestly, I hope I'm not the, uh, the only one. Um, but where I sometimes just feel like, God, I've been following you for years. I should be able to do this without you already. But again, that's kind of absurd. And that's exactly what prayer is for, isn't it? 
to go to God and say, I actually need you. I can't follow you well. I have this need. There's a brokenness in me. There's a fear in me. There's a longing in me, whatever it is, and say, I can't feel this myself. I need your power. I need to come to you both relationally and vulnerably, admitting that I need the Father. And so we can go to God our Father and admit Admit that we need something. We can't do this alone. Trusting, again, that he is, as a good father, going to give us what we need. He's not going to hold back his relationship with us. So we're going to develop a habit of prayer by remembering that prayer is relational, which leads to prayer being vulnerable. And then thirdly, prayer becomes intentional. It's going to have to be on purpose. Because we benefit from planning to pray, from actually deciding to pray at a specific time and a specific place. Now, maybe that's weird for you, but um, obviously this doesn't mean that we can't pray spontaneously, right? This is a relationship and any healthy relationship will benefit from both spontaneity and planned times together. So again, Pete Grieg writes this. Prayer involves the activation of our wills. We are not automatons, mindless bots pre-programmed and powerless to resist the Creator's genetic coding. God respects us too much to ride roughshod over our free wills, and He loves us too much to force us to do His bidding. He comes where He is welcomed and waits to answer until He is called. And I think what he's saying here is that prayer doesn't happen by accident. It requires our wills. It requires intentionality. And it is benefited from when we say, I'm making time and space to say, God, I'm calling you. I'm inviting you. Can we spend time together? And just like an important relationship, an important relationship doesn't stay close and open unless there is intentionality. So prayer happens on purpose, which leads to greater relationship as well as greater openness and then back into vulnerability. And all of this leads us to knowing God more fully, which again is I think a key point of what Jesus is leading us in here is knowing God and recognizing who we are in light of him. Now, if we're going to foster a habit of prayer, it's helpful even just to examine kind of where we're at right now. And so Here's just a couple questions we can think about to recognize where are we at right now. We can ask the question, what does prayer look like in my life? What does prayer look like in my, in my life? Am I approaching prayer relationally? Or do I often come at it transactionally and demanding? Am I approaching prayer relationally? Or do I come at it transactionally and demanding? Are my prayers usually quick and rushed? Or are they relational? Are they extended? Are they engaged? How am I approaching prayer? Are they intentional? Do I make time for prayer so I can better experience the relationship that God has for me and for us together? And again, listen, this is not about making any of us feel guilty, but just to help us view prayer through this lens where we see prayer as less about knowing how to formulate just the right words so that God will do what we want or that we can feel better about ourselves and actually much more about knowing God well and trusting his way and his power in our lives. Now, we're going to finish off our time as usual with prayer, but this time we're going to pray differently than we normally do. Uh, Normally, I would pray and lead us in a prayer, but today we're actually going to do things a little different. I'm going to invite us into two minutes of prayer together, a chance to seek and to ask and to knock. Two minutes to talk to God and to listen to him and be aware of that relationship that he wants with us, the invitation to be vulnerable with him, to ask him, to depend on him, 
to keep asking and seeking and knocking. Now, of course, I know that right now, some of us have kids running around as you're watching us. Some of us have other mildly chaotic things going on. And so, you know, that's okay. This may not be the very time that you're able to do this, but if you can't do it right now, it doesn't mean we can't do it throughout the week. And that's actually my challenge, is that whether we can engage right now or at some other time through the week, that we would actually, every day this week, make time for intentional prayer. Carve out time to seek God, to ask and to seek and to knock, to go to Him relationally, to go to Him vulnerably, to go to Him intentionally and practice this sort of prayer. It can even just be for two minutes when we start off. That's my challenge. Because yes, we want to pray more. I want us to pray more. I think Jesus is calling us in to pray more. But to actually pray again with more recognition of the Father's love for us and for more awareness of the kind of life that we are invited into and that we have in choosing to follow Jesus and that he strengthens us and empowers us in. And so we are going to pray. We're going to put a timer on the screen so that you know how much time there is. We'll let you know when that time is done. And then when we're finished, um, we're going to enter into a final time of, of worship and music together. So let's enter into prayer as we ask and seek and knock the Father uh, to the Father for everything that he wants for us in these next two minutes. Let's pray.